0: Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we're going to be having part three in our tribe series where we've been looking at the five core vineyard values that kind of unite us in the vineyard movement. Today, we will feature special guest John Maurer, who is the senior pastor of the Baton Rouge Vineyard. John Maurer is going to be teaching on the value of compassionate ministry Really good stuff here. So let's go ahead and head over to the talk. Stay up to date with all things North Shore Vineyard at NorthshoreVineyard.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. My name is John Maurer, and I'm the the lead pastor over in Baton Rouge at the Vineyard there. Uh, I know that Crispin is kind of prefaced uh, the series by saying that we're swapping pulpits, and I grew up in a lot of churches where we always heard about this concept, and um, I even heard other pastors talk about it, but I never saw it until uh, this series, so hopefully you guys have enjoyed uh, the series, and um, Crispin Crispin shared at our church last week, he was fabulous, he's a much better speaker than I am, but... um, Yeah, so Crispin was great last week. It was was really, really good to have him over with us. And so I'm doing the third part of this series. We're going to be talking about compassion ministry. And one of the things that's really interesting, whether you're at this vineyard or you're in Baton Rouge or you're in a vineyard church in Michigan, is our values are all the same. No matter where you go, the flavor is going to be a little different here and there. But our value system is all the same no matter what vineyard church you're in. And so today I want to talk about compassion ministry. It's something that, um, if I'm really honest, sometimes my heart is turned off towards those in need. Sometimes I'll see a situation and I don't want to partner with God. I don't want to be God's hands and feet because I've got a family and I'm trying to move life forward and I've got things to do and I've got to figure out church stuff. And so compassion ministry is one of those areas that we, as a church, just can't overlook. And so maybe your journey is going to be like mine, or maybe you've always had a heart for compassionate ministry. So that's what we're going to tell ta- Let me open in prayer, and then we're going to jump in. So Father, we just ask that you'd be with us now. Holy Spirit, come, have your way. We just ask that you would um, take our hearts, transform our hearts, transform our minds, Jesus. We want to be more and more like you in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to introduce two people before I go. First is my little daughter up here in the front. Can you wave at us? This is Haven, and um, she came with dad this morning, and so she's doing so good. I have two other, two boys, and I have one unknown child on the way. We don't know if it's a boy or girl yet, so I'm excited about that. I also want to introduce to you Gemma. She's one of our pastoral interns. She's from England, so she's Hanging out with us in Baton Rouge for this summer. So um, maybe she'll be, yeah, give her a big hand. She needs that hand because she's working with me. So she's, um, yeah, it's all good. Um, Have you guys ever known that there's a whole category of mistakes in life that I would categorize as if I only knew that it was you? If I only knew, if if I knew it was you, I wouldn't have done what I did. Has any has anybody been there? So at our church, this is a couple of months back, I was in the cafe area, and um, I was chatting in a group, and my wife was next to me. Or I thought she was next to me, and so we're chatting, and I heard her voice, and so I put my hand on the small of her back right here, <laughs> and she just stays there, and I'm chatting, and, and I'm, it's there for probably 10, 15 seconds. And then in the corner of my eye, I noticed my wife... Not next to me, but over there. And I turned and it was a woman that I had never seen or known before. So it was like a first time guest to our church. If only I had known it was you, I would not have done that, right? So there's this whole category of mistakes in life that would be categorized as this. Um, Mark Twain, if you're familiar with his life, he went uh, to Maine for a fishing trip. And so he was up there. The only problem was it wasn't fishing season. He has an amazing three-week fishing experience. He gets back. He's taken the train back to his town. And he's chatting with the only person in his... He was in a, tr- in a train. He was chatting with the only other person there. And they're going back and forth. And he starts bragging about all the fish he caught. So he goes on and on how big they were. He even... You know, he, he stretched the truth just a little bit. It was this big, you know, it's really the thumb. But they're huge, and we had such an amazing trip, bragging about every single part of his catch. And so finally he kind of shuts off, and he says, so what do you do? And the man goes, because he could tell, like, the guy had, like, shut down, like, emotionally. And actually he had this, the guy next to him had a frown on his face, So he's like, oh, maybe I said something wrong. He said, so what do you do for a profession? What do you do for a job? He goes, I'm the game warden of the state of Maine. (laughs) If only I had known it was you, I would not have done that, right? (laughs) If only I had known it was you. Um, I think of the ultimate, if only I had known it was you story is one that we can find in the book of Matthew chapter 25, and it's a story that Jesus told. And it's it's probably one of the most sobering stories in the whole New Testament. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 25. And this is one of those texts that just, it challenges us as a church like no other. And it forces us to face some of our own selfishness. It forces us to face are the way we think, the way we process, the way we interact with people, the way that we walk by people and need and do nothing, or put up our nose and keep walking by. This text challenges me, and I, I think it'll challenge you this morning. So here's verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, and he will sit upon his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a, separ- a shepherd Separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So, today, this practice happens in the Middle East all the time. If you're a shepherd, you're going to let your sheep and your goats graze together during the day, and at nighttime, one of the things that you're going to do is you're going to, especially if it gets really cold and there's a cold forecast, you're going to separate the sheep from the goats. You're going to pull the goats out because the goats aren't as hardy and you're gonna put them under some type of covering or in, a, in some type of barn because they're not as hardy. The sheep like, like the cold open air. Verse uh, 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you, and you visited me. When faith is real, it expresses itself to others. Faith that is real and genuine has expression. Verse 37, then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or, and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to the one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So who's Jesus talking about in this text that says my brothers and sisters? Um, and biblical scholars are divided on this issue. So half of the biblical scholars are going to say it is anybody that you meet. Your brothers and sisters are anybody that you meet in the community um, and then the other half of biblical scholars are going to say it's other brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus de- um, defined who his brothers and sisters were by saying, whoever does the will of my father. Mm-hmm. Now the question is that I would like to, sometimes we don't know who does the will of the father, right? right. So I just say, if, if, if be, I go conservative on this one and just say, you know what, whoever I meet, I should show compassion to. Simply that, it's that, really that simple. Um, and here's verse 41. Then the king will say to those on his left left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. So the warning is to the goats here. And the goats, guess what? They're mingling daily with the sheep. They even think maybe I could get by as a sheep. But they're not a sheep, are they? They're really a goat. And their judgment is not because of their wicked acts. It's really clear. Their judgment's not because of their wicked acts. It's because they failed to respond compassionately. They failed to respond compassionately. The last part of this text says... Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. If only I had known it was you, Jesus. If only I had known it was you. If only we had known that helping others was actually helping Jesus. If only we had known that serving others was actually serving Jesus. If only we had known it was you, Jesus. Now, I realize that people struggle with this passage in the church. And it's just, you know, it's kind of, it's a fairly difficult passage, um, The reason why we struggle with it, we we wonder, well, is Jesus saying that we can get into heaven by our good works? And he's not saying that at all, okay? Um, You cannot get into heaven by good works, okay? You can't go and serve a thousand people and say, okay, that means I'm good enough. I've done enough compassion. That is not what's going on here. What he is, so he's not saying that at all. He is, he's not separating compassionate Christians from uncompassionate Christians in this text, He's separating those in his kingdom. He's separating those in his kingdom that will be known for their acts of compassion and those who are not in his kingdom. Okay? So he's separating the sheep from the goats, those are, that are in his kingdom from those who are not in his kingdom. But those in his kingdom will be identified by their acts of compassion. Okay? So what does God... God expects... What God expects to characterize his people are hearts of compassion. There's no way to get around that. Okay? And the ultimate expression of a transformed life in Jesus Christ is love and compassion. Like when you, uh, you prick your finger, blood comes out. You, if you prick a Christian's heart, you know what oozes out? It's got to be love and compassion. I mean it really I mean, biologically I know that's difficult but but <laughs> really reality when things happen in our lives when we when our when we're going through all kinds of stuff the thing that ought to come out in any given situation is love and compassion it's just because it's your DNA as a Christian you've been given you've inherited that DNA so Christian so basically compassion is a requirement of Christian character. If you're a Christian, it's it's part of who you are. It's just, this is who you are. So I want you to walk away today saying, I want to embrace who God's called me to be. I want to embrace who God's called us to be in our community. Whenever we see another human being in need, we always have a choice, don't we? We always have a choice. Um, We see somebody loaded down with some type of burden, okay? We We can choose to see, we can choose to hear, We can choose to respond. We can choose to connect and give and serve and connect and love on them. Or we can choose to avoid and withdraw and look the other way. And really, the the answer is up to us, isn't it? And yet, those who choose to live for their own comfort and gain, Jesus says in verse 45, which it just drives, this text is like, oh, it's just so heart-piercing. I assure you, when you were refusing to help the least of these, you were refusing to help me. Very sobering text. So, um, we're not quite there yet, but that's, that's a good, just leave it there. That's good. What, like, uh, one of the sobering parts of this story, and why, maybe why it is so, seems over the top to us, um, because Jesus doesn't say to the goats, you oppressed the least of these he didn't say you went around burning crosses in people's yards and doing acts of violence against people does he it's just not no it's just that you did nothing you saw and you looked the other way you thought that your agenda was more important and your earning money was more important and when you saw that needy person you decided that that wasn't worth lifting your finger it wasn't worth Doing and stepping out and taking time and energy out of your time, out of your life. You made that choice. Just as you, it doesn't say that you did any bad things at all. It just says you did nothing. You just looked away. So you left me, and that's where it blows me away that um, Jesus says, no, 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 you left me hungry. You left me unclothed. You left me uneducated unloved, uncared for, when I was sick, alone, and hopeless. Jesus, if only I had known it was you. Jesus, only if I had known it was you. Um, Mother Teresa, after she died, they asked the Bishop of Calcutta in 1997, um, why, what, what drove Mother Teresa to do all that she did? And wh- why did she do it all? I mean, she gave up everything. One of my friends served uh, in, uh, where, where, she, where she was for all those years, and re- it's right away off the Red Light District in, um, in Calcutta. And so she went there and spent a year, and she, it utterly broke every bit of her heart. And I mean, just the, the stories that she had, it was just heart-wrenching every single day. But um, here's what the Bishop of Calcutta said about her life. It wasn't the plight of humanity that drove Mother Teresa into the streets. It wasn't the poor, the dying, or the lost. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. Mother Teresa was really ministering only to one person her whole life. To Jesus. Her whole entire life. And every time you consider the well-being of somebody else over your own well-being, you're ministering to Jesus that true? Yeah. Biblically, that's that's exactly what this text is saying. Every time you choose to listen and pray to somebody rather than do what's most relaxing for you, guess what? You are ministering to Jesus. When you visit a sick neighbor or an elderly person that's in a nursing home that just can't get out, guess what? You're consoling Jesus. And sometimes we view our Christian lives as nothing more than like a self-help endeavor. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. Maybe you're not like me. <laughs> maybe I'm. I'm the exception. But sometimes I I view my own Christian walk as this. I, I'm becoming and I'm I'm growing and I'm maturing, and and it's this uh, it's this it seems like it's a self-help endeavor intended to make our own lives better. But guess what? When we turn and we do this, what it does is it serves us rather than serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so I want you guys to, as a community, and as we're looking at our five values here, this is one of our values that it's just, like I said, it's not optional. We just have to figure out how to do it and do it well in our community. Um, But how, how do we do that? How do we get beyond ourselves? How do we make our Christianity not just like some self-help endeavor to make our lives better, but to actually serve Jesus, serve God in our community. So how do we change? How do we develop a more compassionate heart? Where do we even start, John? Um, And I think it really starts by getting to know your neighbors. It starts by just getting to know your neighbors. Um, Open your eyes to the people around you. Uh, Here's Isaiah 58 verse 5 through 7. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you think this will really please the Lord? Now, the pre-part of this text is all about, well, look at how religious we are. We're doing all this amazing stuff. You know, we're following the rules and the laws of the temple and And God's law is like, we're doing all this stuff. It's religious stuff. And Isaiah says, so do you think this will really please the Lord? And Isaiah says, no. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. And give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Have you done that? I, I confess I've, I've hid from neighbors that need my help. Uh, or Sorry, relatives that need my help, which is even worse, right? The neighbors. Then your salvation will come to you like the dawn. And your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Man, there's a great promise as we... Show compassion to the world around us. Um, Former President Jimmy Carter said this. He said, the church says, we don't need to, why don't we take up a collection and give a nice Thanksgiving meal to a poor family? And the next question is, who knows a poor family? Nobody does. We have to call the welfare office to get the name and address. And what Jimmy Carter's getting that there, getting that at in this text, in this little quote is, well, we want to do acts of compassion, but we simply don't know people. We don't know those people that are in need. We don't, when we want to actually live out our DNA and say this is part of who we are, we are called to compassionate ministry. We don't even know the neighbors around here. So the first things are, first, get to know your neighbors Dive into relationships. Find somebody that's not like you. I don't know um, if, if your city has how many homeless people around here. Get to know people. Like we just put up all these different, ex- and I'm going to go through some excuses in a little bit here. But um, we put up all these reasons why we shouldn't help. In reality, you guys were called to getting to know people. Um, Maybe some of my favorite conversations I've ever had. So my wife and I did two church plants. Uh, One was in Minneapolis. There's not many homeless people there because it's um, bitterly cold. Our second church plant was in the city of Pasadena, California. And the issue there was we had homeless people right outside the doors of the church on any given Sunday. And like I said, my heart can sometimes... Get cold and cynical, and sometimes I don't want to deal with the situations. But guess what? Our community, some maybe even got this before me. I one of the mo, one of the signs of the kingdom of God is when people of different different groups can sit next to each other and share a cup of coffee or a meal together. And, and Crispin shared that with you guys a couple weeks ago. But there's something really good and amazing about that experience. Well. I saw this, we saw homeless people that would come into our church and sit, I loved it, because they would sit, like the doctors, like the, we had, well, I would say that we had the the highest percentage of paleontologists, like PhD paleontologists in the nation. We had all these um, rock people in our our community. Well, one day I saw this guy, and he was talking with the guy that was out there in the street, and before you know it, uh, they were sitting next to each other in the front row, and I just thought, man, this is God at work. This is compassion. This is the church in action right here. So get to know your neighbors. Get to know the people around you. Get to know the people, like the, the lower economic areas around here. Find a family and adopt them. Do something, right? Okay, so first step one, find, get to know your neighbors. Get off your couch, get to know your neighbors, okay? Step number two, you gotta step into action then. You gotta step into action. Compassion needs to be shown in actions. You gotta respond compassionately. Uh, Colossians 3:12 says this: You must must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Um, so the church that I grew up in, we talked about compassion, but we didn't really do compassion. Um, and Here's was one of the most amazing moments in my life where I saw compassion fully in action. I went to go spend uh, two weeks in Morocco, Africa. And a guy named Daryl, who's a missionary there, picked me up and we we're traveling from one city to the next. He got into his hometown, home city there and he was kind of giving me the little tour before we got to his house. And he sees a family of five, so mom and dad and three children, younger children in the park. And it was like earlier in the morning and they, one of the kids was still sleeping. And so Daryl goes and just goes up and introduces himself. And I'm kind of watching from behind the scenes. And before you know it, I see Daryl saying, like waving his fans, saying like, let's go. And so on, all I could think of is, I don't know what's going on right now. So I said, Daryl, what's going on? And he said, oh, we're, they're just going to stay with us for the next week or something. It's okay. And I'm like, what? They're homeless and they're going to stay with us? Like, my paradigm for the kingdom of God was just so small. And like I said, in Michigan, it's hard to, there's not many homeless people. But we could have acted this out in so many other ways. And yet, we just, we just talked about compassion. And I want you to know, talking about compassion isn't enough. You've got to get into action respond compassionately. That family stayed with Daryl for, I, I think, a week and a half, two weeks. And um, it was amazing to see. And that family had never heard of the name of Jesus before in their, in their life. Mm-hmm. The third thing, and you can throw that next one, is share your stuff. Um, developing a more compassionate heart. No, I want to say share your stuff because, well, first of all, this is, technically wrong theologically, because we don't own any stuff, right? Like you own, if you're new to the faith, here, I got a great one for you. You don't own anything. You have no possessions. They're all gods, yeah. right? right? So guess what? You get to share the stuff that you've been given stewardship over. It's not yours anyway, right? So you get to share, freely give it away. Share your stuff. Westerners have the very, a very difficult time with us, don't we? Like we, want to accumulate and collect. Um, And this is, just so you know, our stuff is rooted in our heart. And anytime you find a situation where you're like, my stuff is taking precedence over my relationship with God, that's where I want want to encourage you to go find the thing that you love the most and give it away. Give it away. Um, So here's, so I, if you get to know me, if you ever come to the Baton Rouge Vineyard Church, I'll show you my office. It's like, Lined with books all around, okay? Tons of books everywhere. Um, I'm a book collector and I've spent tons of money on books. Um, it was one of those things when I got married, I'm like, just want you to know I'm going to spend lots of money on books. Is that okay with you? She agreed, so I married her. <laughs> and um, so I always said, I'm going to, so we've always spent, you know, we have our own category in our budget just for books. And so, but I collect old Christian books. And so when I first started collecting, I really wanted a Fox's Book of Martyrs. And I wanted, I already had some newer copies. I wanted a really old copy. So I was, my my goal was to find something that was mid-1700s. So this is like before internet and easy searching and all that stuff. So I called all the used Christian bookstores in the whole nation and said, can you keep your eye peeled for this book? I'm looking for this, something pre-1750. And so... I didn't hear anything for months and months. Finally, I got the call. Actually, no, they sent me a letter. It was from Kriegel Bookstore in Michigan. They said, hey, we have this book. Here's a date. Uh, Send us a check and it's yours. And I'm like, yay! I saved up for a long time and I purchased it. Well, I held on to this thing like it was my little baby. Like it was, it meant, Now, first of all, it meant a lot to me. And it doesn't mean a lot to you guys because you're not book collectors. But for me, this is like my prized possession. And so... Through time, and it was, guess what though? It's a Christian book. But people would come over and be like, hey, look at this one. I very carefully open it. It was a leather bound book and just beautiful. Well, I realized through time that this thing had a grip in my heart. I didn't want to give it away though. But I, I just realized there's too, I like this book too much. Now I want you to fill in the blank for your life, right? What is it that you're like, oh, that's it? Like, this is so important to me. And I'm not talking about memorabilia from great-grandfather or something like that. I'm talking about that thing that it's just, it captures your heart. So this, it captured my heart just way too much. And I got to the point where I felt like, God say, you just got to give it away. I found another book enthusiast um, that I trusted somewhat to take care of it and I wrapped it up, and I went, I mean, when I was giving it to this person, I'm like, here you go, and like, and I, I, I held on to it. It was like the grip that I didn't, I just didn't want to let go. And so finally, I, I released it, and you know what it did? It, it opened my heart up to realize that my stuff means ultimately nothing in this world. I still collect a lot of books, and I have a but. Man, that grip on my heart, it was released. And you need to keep an eye out. You need to radically value people. Radically value people over any possession that you ever hold. Radically value people. Put people above it all, guys. Remember that one. John the Baptist said this. Anybody who has two shirts should share one who has none. (gasps) I mean, this is serious. Like... This is the gospel being lived out. Anyone who has food should do the same. Wow. I think as a society, we've got to learn to just have, like, freely give. Start just giving away. Just find something that holds a, something in your heart and just give it away, okay? Um, this is Tertullian in 197, so early church. And he said... Family possessions, which usually destroy brotherhood among you, create create fraternal bonds among us. He's talking to non-Christians, okay? He's talking to, like, he's in a, a public square and he's communicating. So he's saying, he's talking to this crowd saying, you know what? Possessions, which usually destroy you guys, among the Christian community, they create fraternal bonds among us. Being one in mind and soul, we do not hesitate to share our earthly goods with one another. We have all things in common with, among us, except our wives. He says, we share everything except our wives. You know, like, that's good. Okay, that's a good one. You can live that one out. But I really think, um, I think, we need to A and look at the church first. Like if there's a need within the church, I mean, get to know each other enough to, when there's a need. Man, freely give. Freely give. Um, and then second, a very close second to the rest of the world. Anybody else that you meet in, in contact with. Radically value people over possessions. So who should we show compassion to? Um, throw the next slide in. So to children. And to there's all these texts. And just so you know, this is a a smaller um, grouping, but it's, so we should show compassion to children to prisoners, to the bereaved, those who have just suffered loss, uh, to those who don't know God, to the isolated, to sick, to widows and orphans, to the oppressed, needy, and the poor. Um, So let me go into some excuses because if you've gotten this far with me, you've followed me, you're saying, well, well, what about this? And we all have excuses, and guess what? The Bible gives you no excuses at all, okay? He didn't say, do compassion if they're worthy of compassion. No, it doesn't, it doesn't give any, um, any restrictions like that at all. Um, but I hear this a lot. Well, they don't deserve it. Guess what? God shields us from what we deserve, doesn't he? And gives us gifts that we don't deserve, Well, John, some will abuse it. Um, They're going to spend the money on drugs or alcohol. Um, Guess what we've done? We've judged, really judged their heart. Now, there's wisdom. If somebody, like, reeks like a, you know, like a big can of alcohol or bottle of alcohol, like, okay, there's wisdom there. But the majority actually just need help. The majority of people actually just need help. Um, Did you guys know that... Forty-four percent, I just saw this bulletin board, I was in Pensacola. Um, Forty-four percent of homeless actually work, have a job. Um, Next excuse, when we give, they become dependent on us, John. We don't want that. We don't want them to have to need us. And the funny thing is, we view it the exact opposite of reality. Did you know that you need the poor and needy in your lives because your stuff as a Westerner holds such a tight grip to your heart. You need the poor to give your stuff to. Okay. You need them. They will help you. Do you remember the rich rich, young ruler that came to Jesus? He needed the poor. He needed the poor to give you stuff to So you need the poor. Uh, And really it's, it's an interdependence. It's really an interdependence. Um, John, what, about, well, what if they hurt me? And there's this fear. Guess what? We've got to just trust God. What about trusting God and honoring God and obeying God's spirit instead of your own, your own like, hesitations? What if, John, I just feel overwhelmed. The need is so great out in the community. I just, there's just so much. What do we do? Mother Teresa said, if you can't feed 100, feed one." can't feed a hundred, just find one. So guys, no more excuses. Okay. I told our church just two weeks ago, I'm like, no more excuses. I don't want to hear it anymore. And if any of you hear an excuse for not caring for somebody, you just cut it off and say, no, no, no. We already talked about that. We are going to be, and we're going to act compassionately, no matter what the situation. If we're going to error, if we ever error, let's err inside of grace and compassion, right? Why, why not? Let's err on the side of grace and compassion and love and mercy. Guys, no more excuses. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in your home. I was naked. You clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. So I want you guys to go live this out. I want you to live it out in your community. So as a church, as a larger church movement, we're saying this is who we are. How does this happen in the local church? It's up to each one of us to live this out and then share your stories with one another. Um, Let me give you a couple, maybe a couple examples real briefly. Make a dozen cookies. Go to a nursing home and go to the desk and say, who never gets visited here? And go spend a half an hour with them and just talk and ask them about their life. Give something away, which I already mentioned, but give something away that your heart like likes to hold on to. Give something away. Make a meal for a family in need and then listen to their story. Don't go in with your agenda. Go in and just listen to them and their situation. Uh, strike up a conversation with somebody who does not look like you. Somebody who just, that you would normally never talk to. Strike up a conversation and listen to their story. Um, And then when it's all said and done, when you see a need, respond. Step into action. Do something with it. And as we open our eyes to the people around us, God will will show us all kinds of things. God will show us all kinds. At the end of your life, I promise you, you will not regret one act of compassion. One you will not regret one dollar that you gave. You will not regret one tear that you shed. Because guess what? It, it, when it's all said and done, you were serving Jesus. Yeah. And you got to get that into your brain. We were serving Jesus when we did that. Um, I know it's probably time to go and I've got one last story and then I'm going to have our ministry team come on up. But uh, Vladimir Nabokov, he was a Russian-born novelist. He wrote Ada in 1955 and, um, or 1969. He wrote wrote Lolita in 1955, but in the summer of 1940, he was in Utah, staying with his friend named, uh, named James, and so there he was in Utah, and Vladimir had one passion in life other than writing. He loved butterflies. He loved collecting butterflies. He had a very large butterfly collection, and so one day, he goes out on this journey, Walk, you know, trying to find as many butterflies for, he already, had already numbered them. He's like, I'm going to find these five to seven butterflies today. And so he's on a mission. Well, he's out there wandering the country and he spends the whole day out there. He gets back to the house and he meets James that evening. And James says, how was your day? He said, it was wonderful. Look at all the butterflies I caught. It was such an amazing day. It was so good. And then um, Vladimir said, and I was going by Bear Gulch over there, and I heard this groaning. It was kind of, you know, it was it was you know midday, later, you know, mid later later on in the day. I heard this groaning and some man kind of crying out for help. And James says, Did you go and stop and help? And he said, Oh no, I was chasing a butterfly. It was so beautiful. And it was off, I could see it off in the distance, and I just had to, I I had to go and catch the butterfly. And the next day, they went out and found this man, and it was an aged prospector who had passed away through the night. And they renamed it from Bear Gulch to Dead Man's, Gulch in Nabokov's honor um, and here's why I think it's a prophetic picture for the church because you guys as a Christian community so often we run around we're catching our butterflies we're doing our American dream thing and like we're we're pursuing stuff and all around us there's people dying in need in need of the church stepping up. And what do we do? We're like, "Oh, it's so beautiful and pretty, and I just need to catch one more and add to my collection." And I think this morning God's saying to us, "Let's let's live this out. Let's be the church." This is part of you as a Christian stepping out in your faith, doing what God's called you to do. So when people are dying around us, let's respond. Let's move into action. Um, why don't we have our ministry team come up, come up. And I want to close in a word of prayer. There, you, did you guys see the Passion of the Christ? I know it's or you haven't probably seen it in a long time, but there's this one scene where they're there, and this lady comes up and she gives Jesus a cup of cold water. Do you guys remember that scene? And there's something about that scene that I loved because I always think, I wish that I could have been there to serve Jesus. I wish that I could have done that for Jesus. But did you know that there's not a day that goes by that we can't do that very same thing for Jesus here and now? Because what we do to the least of these, we do unto him. Every day we have an opportunity to serve Jesus in our community. Every single day. Let's all stand. So for prayer ministry time and um, after we're done, um, let's just kind of honor what God's doing up front as far as ministry time. If you need ministry, maybe the Holy Spirit's dealing with you. Maybe he's trying to shift some priorities around. Get some prayer this morning. But we I want, specifically want the prayer ministry team to pray for those who have a calloused heart towards the needy. And I think that God will break that over your life this morning. Um, also, I... I want the prayer ministry team to pray for anybody who specifically feels called to lead in the area of compassion and justice issues in our community, um, in this community. If you feel like this call to lead in some greater capacity, maybe lead a ministry or lead something, we want to pray and bless that over your lives. Um, And the third group, if you're here and you just need to say, I'm sorry, I repent, Jesus. I looked away. I didn't. I did nothing. And I think, I think as a Christian community, it's it's appropriate to say, God, forgive us for that. So, um, bow your hearts with me, Jesus. Here we are. We want to be people of compassion. We refuse to be people who say, "If only I had known it was you." We want to be a people who respond because. We're serving people created in your image, and ultimately, Jesus, we're serving you. And so, Jesus, we say yes to your ministry. We say yes to the kingdom of God. We say yes to the people that we meet on the streets. We say yes to every act of compassion that you're calling us to, Jesus. So, Holy Spirit, come. Put that deep in our hearts, Jesus. Here's number six. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Father, let us never forget what we do to the least of these we've done to you. God, I pray that this would, uh, in a good way, haunt our hearts and souls and minds this week, this month, this year, Jesus. Thanks for being the great example. Thanks for coming and loving and serving and calling us to yourself. We love you, Jesus. Amen. If you need prayer, prayer ministry, partners are up front. Um, Have a good day, guys. Thanks for having me.